2: welcome to another edition of Rick and Bubba University the podcast uh, we are excited that you have joined us and uh, we're going to take a, a fascinating journey uh, and we're going to talk about aviation on this edition and Bubba we talk about some of the stuff on the show so much Tom Messer is our guest and let me tell you something uh, Tom has uh, has been around uh, for a while been been flying since 65. Uh, has over twenty thousand hours uh, in the air. Worked as an air traffic controller for twenty seven years. Retired in in ninety nine. Uh, his, his son is a current controller out of uh, out of Birmingham, uh, and um, let me tell you, he has some incredible stories. And he also can give us insight on a lot of questions that come up on the show involving. Uh, some of the more famous crashes that have taken place. and and uh, so Tom, uh, welcome first of all to Rick and Bubba University the Podcast. Thank you so much and good morning. Yeah, so let's talk about give me give us the Tom Messer story. H- how in the world uh, did you end up um, uh, as a pilot, as a a air traffic controller? what what's what's the history of of how you got into to all this?
0: Well, as a small child in Jasper, Alabama, Uh, I loved airplanes and the airport was not very far from my home and I rode my bicycle to the airport on weekends and the pilots that flew the small airplanes sat outside and they chatted about aviation and I listened to them and they'd take me flying from time to time with them so I got the bug. Uh, I started flying at 16 and uh... Got my private pilot's license, went to Auburn University, was in the aviation management program there. I got some more ratings at Auburn. Uh, Went in the Navy uh, after I got out of Auburn. Did not fly in the Navy, but got some more ratings there. When I got out of the Navy, I had a uh, commercial uh, multi-instrument rating. I got my CFI through the GI Bill And I got a Citation Jet type rating on the GI Bill in 1974. And uh, just through some benefactors and people that took me under their wing early on, uh, I was able to go to King Air School, uh, flew for a company out in Jasper for a little while. And on a trip to Birmingham one day, back in the day when you could walk into the terminal and walk around and visit the control tower and... Uh, I walked over to the tower and visited the uh, tower chief there. They call them managers now, but they were chiefs back in those days. Um, He took a liking to me and helped me get on to uh, the test to take for air traffic controller. Uh, Got hired into Birmingham, worked there for 27 years. In 1978, that was in 74. In 78, I went to the Flight Standards Division of uh, FAA. There I gave pilot check rides, investigated accidents and incidents, and part of my duties were to surveil air traffic or uh, air taxi operators. So I got the uh, experience through the FAA to do that, and in 84, I, I got... I uh, did a uh, air taxi operation, started with a baron, but within a year, I had a Cessna Citation on my charter certificate. Uh, while I was still an air traffic controller, I grew that business to be the largest air taxi operation in the state of Alabama. And in 1999, having both the air taxi operation and being a controller, I retired from a uh, Uh, the FAA as an air traffic controller, put my time into my air taxi operation. And then in the early 2000, well, 2010 or so, I decided to uh, give up the air taxi side of it just due to complications with dealing with the paperwork bureaucracy. (laughs) And uh, I went into aircraft management. And at the current time, I manage corporate-owned airplanes for companies that have jet airplanes or turboprop airplanes that don't want to have their own flight operation. They don't want to employ pilots, and they don't want to deal with maintenance and hangaring and insurance. They just turn those airplanes over to my company. We manage them on their behalf. And then Uh there are a few other companies around that we provide pilot service to uh, help them fly their airplanes. Wow. So uh, that's it
2: in a nutshell. What a nutshell it was. I mean, it, it, (laughs) it, uh, it, uh, it, it is full. So you did spend time as an air traffic controller. Uh, and to me, I'm fascinated by, by yeah, air traffic. Yeah,
1: I'm amazed that they can keep up with everything that's going on up there because it looks like there's a lot of planes in the air.
2: Yeah, and, and you told
1: me something,
2: and and Bubba, this was very, very interesting. You, you said from your experience of, of watching air traffic controllers, there's a certain giftedness that comes with it, obviously. There is. And it really doesn't – it's not really tied to education. You said you saw some of the most educated that couldn't quite get it down, and then some – high school educated that did really well, and, and, and what did you see? Could you pick up on a few things that, that usually were an indication this person was going to be pretty good?
0: Well, I, I did notice, and I told you earlier about it, yeah. but it seemed that a controller who had some musical talent did well as a controller, and it's a brain thing, and I'll just briefly say what I said before. You can take a piano And you can put sheet music up, and you say, this is a note. This is how long it gets for the beat. This is the piano keys. You strike them, and you can teach someone all there is to know about a piano, and some can play and some can't. And I see that same thing, or saw it, with controllers. You could put the handbook in front of them. You could give them classroom. You could teach them all the procedures and separation requirements. You could show them a radar. You could show them out the window that this is the airport and these their taxiways. And some of them were able to just be excellent controllers and some just couldn't quite get it. And it was my piano analogy that you can teach. Some people have the ability and some just don't have the ability.
2: And you notice, though, that if they had musical ability, they, they seem s- to do better. They seem to adapt to it better. Yeah, they something. had a
1: they had a rhythm. Yeah, their internal some, there, clock. And, and yeah.
0: that is exactly what it is. It's yeah. rhythm.
2: And well, it's a lot to keep up with. So we we certainly want to talk to you about some of the more famous you
1: know crashes. Yeah, well, let me ask you a couple yeah, more. Yeah, sure. Comes to air traffic control. Because yeah, I, I I'm being a ham radio operator. I have a, oh, yeah. a radio in my vehicle, and I have it programmed to listen to the to the airport. And uh, I enjoy hearing. Of course, here and when I travel, there's several around that I enjoy listening to. But a lot of times it, it seems to me like the uh, the air traffic controllers are talking like the people on the drive through at the restaurant. You know, <laughs> it's not the clearest audio you would want. Yeah. And I've asked some of the pilots, I said, how in the world do you tell what they're going to say? And they tell me they anticipate what they're going to say. So uh, th- then when they hear it and it's not really clear, they know still what they said.
0: A lot of times there's a lot of verbiage, but they're just keywords. In that long spiel, right. So you're listening for an altitude, or a heading, or cleared to land, or clear for takeoff. Uh, There are specific words in that instruction that they're really keyed up to listen to. Well,
1: it just it just seems to me that they would they would speak a little slower and clearer, you know. (laughs) And
0: and, and as a student pilot or a low time pilot, you can ask them to talk slower or. I'm a student pilot. Uh, can you give me a little more time to understand that?
1: Especially when we're we're down Highway 280 where we live, and if I'm visiting my son that lives in Auburn, I yep. always enjoy listening. They have a flight school there. You'd mention. Oh yeah. Right. And uh, boy, I hear a lot of them. And they 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 you know they'll give the tail uh, uh, numbers of the plane, and they say Auburn student at the end <laughs> of it.
0: <laughs> right. Well, at Birmingham, for instance, uh, there are seven or eight different positions, different frequencies that are being talked on all the time. There's clearance delivery, ground control. What you think of as the tower, which clears for takeoff and landing, they call that local control. Uh And then there's approach control, departure control. There's satellite airports in the Birmingham area. A lot of people don't realize that at Birmingham, they work approaches into Tuscaloosa, Anniston, Gadsden, Talladega. Uh, there are no towers there. There's a tower in Tuscaloosa, but um, they—if the weather is bad—they work the instrument approaches into those airports.
2: Mm. That is amazing. That the instrument driving, and we'll get to that. Flying is 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 where. That's where you get into the the novice versus the the expert. That that's when it, it that all this training really comes into play. And we come back. We want to talk a, a little bit about some of these things that happened. You know, the JFK uh, incident. You know, you can definitely unpack that for wow, us. So Malaysia just go
1: right to crash. Well, so. we got we got Malaysia, and we're going to talk <laughs> that's, about. That's going to build everybody's confidence. Well, <laughs>
2: we're going to come back. Well, he's going to tell us what happened. Cancel the flight, and right? how these things could have been avoided. And yeah. he's also going to shed some light on. New technology that if we had this technology when the Malaysian flight went down, we likely could
1: have found it. Yeah, and, 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 we got to talk yeah, to you about, we're that, talk about I, that I'm kind of uh, that one kind of spooks me a little bit. I just feel <laughs> yeah. like we should have known what happened to that. <laughs> yes. and I'm going to ask you why. So, in uh,
2: there's so many years of expertise that that Tom can bring to the table. We'll talk about you know the the state of commercial airlines right now with these potential uh, pilot strikes continuing. Uh, you know how, how how trying to schedule all that runs aground, and I know how frustrating that can be for all of us traveling. Sometime he can shed some light on what actually is happening and taking place, when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, continues. Rick and Bubba, Rick and Bubba. This is the Rick and Bubba Show. Watch more at blazedv.com slash Rick and Bubba. Rick and Bubba, Rick and Bubba. All right, so Bubba, let's uh, let's talk just a little bit about life insurance. I mean, this is really tying into the show today. Yeah, it I mean, really is. Especially uh, well, if you're about to fly. Well, yep. true. Uh, you know, here, here's the bottom line. Uh, people try to overcomplicate life insurance. It's become so convoluted. And what Ladder is saying is, can we just simplify this and and get the process down to what really matters anyway? And what really matters is uh, if I die before my loved ones and, and I'm the insured and they are the recipients of the insurance payment, are they going to get paid? And yeah. how much are they going to get paid? Uh, the rest of it uh, is just uh, it seems like a, a lot of busy work for nothing, and th- listen to this number with Ladder. You talk about simplifying life insurance, and remember, and bu- hey, Rick and Bubba know the older you get, the more it costs. Yeah, okay. So, so make a move on this now, and the more complicated it gets too. Uh, ladder is 100 percent digital. No doctors, no needles, no paperwork. When you apply for three million. And coverage or less. So you thought you thought that was going to be a lower ceiling. I mean, all the way up to $3 million, you don't really have to see the doctor, do needles, paperwork, uh, just a few questions answered about your health in an application, and then they use their algorithms to get it done. Uh, Ladder's customers uh, rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot, and they made, Bubba, Forbes' best life insurance list in 2021. There you go. So just a few minutes, a phone or a laptop, and you can apply. All right, so go right now, ladderlife.com slash Bubba. Do that today. See if you're instantly approved. L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash Bubba. Put our names together, ladderlife.com slash rickbubba. Tom Messer is uh, our guest today on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Uh, he is uh, a very experienced pilot, uh, a, a retired air traffic controller, uh and uh, and can bring a lot to the table so do you want to go malaysia first or do you want want to go jfk jr either one so so tom let's talk and come a little bit closer to that mic there let's talk malaysia so give us your expert opinion and we don't we still don't know what happened do we Uh, but but talk about why we can't seem to to get those answers
0: the uh Airplane uh, took off from the mainland. I can't remember exactly uh, where it took off from. And at the time, that was 2014, I believe. At the time, there uh, was only radar. uh, And radar does two things in determining where an airplane is. There's skin paint, where the beam actually hits the airplane and returns. And then there's a device on the airplane called a transponder that, When interrogated, sends the altitude and some information back. Uh, Radar is line of sight, and if you've ever been sitting on the beach and you see a boat go over the horizon and disappear, the same thing happens with radar. Uh, When the airplane goes over the curvature of the Earth and gets over on the backside... So the the Earth's not flat? (laughs) <laughs> it is not flat okay I don't okay. believe yeah well, let's you, you got a pretty good look at it. I, I've been high <laughs> enough to see the curve so yeah. I believe there is a curve there. so but but when the plane goes over that then... right the, it can no longer interrogate it uh in like the United States there's a system of radars and as the airplane goes across the country it goes from oh. one radar station to another to another and it's constantly in radar contact with air traffic control facility uh Back when the Malaysia occurred, uh, when the airplane got out over both the South China Sea and the Indian Ocean, uh, they got no returns from it, so they didn't know where it was. Uh, There was a device on the airplane that was uh, satellite-based that the engines on board the airport reported to the manufacturer every 15 minutes or so uh, the condition of the engines. So they were able to use that a little bit, but there was times that that, that they didn't get those reports back. Today, and, and back to the Malaysia, I just don't know where they went. Uh, right. There was no way to track them. Um, there was probably no cell phone uh, air... Uh, Airplanes now, you can make a cell phone call sure. back in the airplane, but back at that time, this yeah. airplane may not have been equipped, okay. so the people in the back didn't know what was going on. Uh, but now we have, it's called ADSB, it's Automated Dependent Surveillance, and there is a device on the airplane now that transmits to a satellite the GPS position, and it is a form of type radar that air traffic controllers are using, and it will be the web that encircles the earth basically in the future, that any airplane anywhere at any altitude, they'll be able to see it because it will be reporting through a satellite system. They didn't have that then, Mm. and basically when the airplane got out over the middle of the ocean, there was no way to communicate. Uh, the VHF radios on board the airplane that they talk on are line of sight. Uh, they would have had satellite navigation, but some reason those pilots were not in contact with anybody. They could have talked over a sat phone, uh, but they didn't. So there may have been some pilot collusion in that.
1: There obviously was, or somebody Don't do Don't they think somebody, because something had to be turned off, uh, some of that—
0: uh, maybe maybe not um because they were in an area where just not good coverage yeah, yeah just not good coverage
1: it, it tom it just seems to me oh, in man. in a time mm-hmm. where we have the Defense Department has such good satellite coverage. I mean, the Chinese can't stick a shovel in a pile of dirt at an ICBM (laughs) site that we don't know about it. It just seems like somebody would have a picture of that thing, and then it's gone, and we would know where it was. Well, there's all the conspiracy
0: theories through the years that they claim they've got pictures of it on an island. out that uh, They did find parts of that airplane that washed up that they were able to identify as parts of that airplane, so... And that was in the Indian
1: Ocean, so it went down somewhere in the Indian Ocean. Yeah, it hit the water somewhere. We just don't know why. That's but they, didn't they think the the pilot had some issues or something? Hadn't that come I'm, out? More? I'm not
0: aware of that. No. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah so, so, but either they had
2: no coverage, or or somebody chose not to use the satellite phone. That
0: one, that one, that is one correct. One, yeah, and, and they're not. And
2: that was the only way we could have. The last with few
0: them. reports that they got as to where the airplane was, was pretty much at the end of the fuel exhaustion period for the airplane. They knew how much fuel it had on it and how
1: long it could fly. There was only so far it could go. That's right. And you draw that circle, and then you look inward. I saw two where one guy, and I can't remember where he was from, I was trying to find the report, he had actually used, um, uh, crazy as it sounds, ham radio beacons from around the world and was looking for blips in that, meaning right. that the plane had interrupted that for just a second. And it's really it's it's kind of a high tech way to see a stealth plane. Right. In other words, if you have a constant background RF, you look for the hole. And that means something's flying through it. And, and he had said he, he knew where it went down, but I, I think they'd run out of money searching the well, there was ocean a lot of time, floor at the time. a
0: lot of time, energy, and money that was right. spent. There was another expedition that launched after the governments gave it up, a private looking for it. The water's very deep, and it's a big
2: ocean. Yes. It's a lot of water. And But what you're saying is uh, with today's technology, we would have found it. That's correct.
0: Unless it got turned off
2: somehow or another. Right, but I'm talking, talking about let's take all of the conspiracy theories out. Right. If it, if it had just crashed for mechanical failure or, or whatever. Correct. If it, if it had crashed and, and the pilots were not in collusion, there was no, none of that, we would know where it was. That's correct.
1: Now, is that on all planes now being manufactured? or The
0: ADSB? yes. yes it's uh-huh. required in the United States. It's required in most countries in the world. There are a few that are working toward it. Uh, but it will eventually be uh, worldwide
1: you, you were talking about the uh, the pinging of the engine data I think that's amazing technology that they they can keep up with their own engines and look right. at that and and it's really for them to tell what's running good what's not running good to help it, it help your design does. i mean you can't you can't get better data than in flight that's correct uh you know telemetry on your engine as it happens and then they they're, they're doing that for every flight i mean they've got a massive amount of data that's correct for correcting those things somebody's looking at you all the time yeah, <laughs> well, that's true. It's kind of like our
0: doctors,
2: right? Well, and I know that you said this show that is called Air Disasters. You're you're not a fan. I am not, and and, 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 and you're not a fan of that. For what reason?
0: Uh, the over dramatization. Um, pilots have the deer in the headlights look every time something happens. They're like, "Oh my gosh, what's happening?" I don't know, and pilots do know. They have a good Uh, They're trained. They do simulator training. They've been through almost all the scenarios that can ever happen in the airplane. Um, They will set out to fix the problem. A lot of times in accidents, it's compounding problems. There's one simple problem, and they may begin to work on it, and then it gets worse and worse, and it gets beyond their ability. Uh, Fire. Fire can get beyond your ability. Fire's bad. As, far as bad. That's my biggest fear as a pilot in an airplane. As they fire, uh, but for a hundred dollars on those shows, it seems like to me they could hire a <laughs> retired air traffic controller right. and a retired pilot and get the phraseology right and take the wow out of it and just tell what happened
1: oh but they gotta have the wow that's right. what makes a tv show so you're saying that's the part when they're doing
2: when they're doing the drama the drama part of it where it's actors they you can still do actors and make it sound more I, authentic right i feel like you could right. yeah i bet you just well, you won't even watch it will you?
0: but you know i i, I take that and i move that across the whole news spectrum. When I see something, a movie or a TV show or a news report on aviation, and I see it handled so poorly, oh, yeah, I wonder about all that other stuff that I don't right. know anything right. about. Should right. I believe it or not?
1: Yeah, well, I think we all struggle well, with that every day. Yeah, uh, if they don't have you, this right, what else do they not have right? You, you That's know, right. one <laughs> of the shows, and you may remember this one, I don't remember what flight it was. It was overseas somewhere. But uh, it, was a, it was one of the larger planes, and they were coming in to land in a uh, just a torrential rain. And they had an engine failure, which I guess the most dangerous time with any airplane is right as you're landing. And they lost an engine, they lost the other, mm-hmm. and ended up in a crash, terrible deal. But they went back and studied it, and, and of course these engines are designed to work in rain. Correct. I mean, you have rain sometimes. Correct. But the fact that they had slowed down the engine and the RPMs to land, it had never been tested at a low speed, and the water just simply drowned the engine out. And I thought that was very interesting. Of course, they've made changes to it now, so that doesn't happen. Yeah. But it, I always thought that was a, a very interesting phenomenon.
0: That could happen. The, the compressor blades, that big fan that's up in the front, throws the water to the side of the engine and there is a duct that goes around and very little of the water actually goes into the hot section of the turbine that makes the power. Right. Uh, in our big turbofan engines that we have now, 60% of the power is made through that duct going around the hot air coming out the back. Only 40% of the thrust is made by the hot gases And it's like a propeller. Mm -hmm. It's that big fan that when you're sitting in a commercial airline and you look in that engine, you see that big old wheel. Mm Oh, yeah. 60% of the thrust is made from that fan blade. So it would be odd to have water uh, put out the fire uh, in a a new tech airplane. Right. In the old airplanes, the turbojets, not the turbo fans, that water did go through the Uh, hot section. So that might be if it's a fair ways back that might be the case that it was a turbojet, not a turbofan. T-
1: t- talk a little bit, since we're on this topic, about how a jet engine actually works. All right, let's hold right there. Because you're kind of breaking <laughs> it apart. Let's hold right there. And I, I want to get to that. Is it is it just a <laughs> propeller in a can, or is it actually something else that's <laughs> happening there? I bet you've never heard propeller in mm-hmm. a can, have you?
2: All, <laughs> all right, we'll come back. More with Tom Messer when Rick and Bub University, the podcast, continues. All right, so let's talk a little bit about what we just said. You know, sometimes when this fake world is being presented to us, we're like, "What else do you guys get wrong?" Right now, you're watching a sitting administration try to convince you that the high prices you're seeing everywhere don't exist. Yeah. They're, they're trying to tell you what well, to no, say. No, all that there's is, no is, really no it's inflation. It's all this, and but we know when we look and we see what's happening to the price of everything. And we see what's happening to our IRA or our 401K. We can see those things. Well, our friends at Allegiance Gold said, you know, if we've learned anything from the past, you need to diversify right now by adding some precious metals. Uh, physical gold and silver, if you prefer, can also be delivered securely right to your front door. Uh, but if you would rather uh, do it another way with your IRA or 401k. They can help you with that, too. But here's their approach, and it's, it's different than, than others in the same um, industry. They focus on educating and developing a long-term strategy, and I, w- I would hear that, long-term strategy, that's right for you. Not, not boilerplate, not this is what we do for everybody. They look at your situation, my situation, Bubba's situation, and they say, all right, here's what you need to do. Um, now, right now, their best offer is available to you, up to $2,500 of free silver on a qualifying purchase. So here's the URL you need to use. ProtectWithRickBubba.com. Put Rick, Rick and Bubba together. Don't put an and in there. ProtectWithRickBubba.com or mention us. If you call them at 844-790-9191, uh, Allegiance Gold, they, they have some of the highest ratings in the industry, so call them 844-790-9191, mention Rick and Bubba, or go to protectwithrickbubba.com. All right, so we're talking to Tom Messer uh, uh, before we uh, talked about our sponsors today.
1: Bubba asked you how a jet engine works. Is that what you were asking? Yeah, just, Tom? In, yeah. just in general for yeah, yeah. You know, so, people to understand mm-hmm. what's happening in that uh, in that little can hanging under the wing. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm not a mechanic. Mm-hmm. I do know how jet engines work. It, we could spend several hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to go Whitney Pratt on right. but I mean, <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's compression. Those wheels that turn, right. uh, Compress the air. Uh, There's a burner can in there where fuel is introduced and mixed. It gets really hot. It goes the other direction out the back of the can you're talking about. It turns some wheels back there that turn that big fan in the front. It makes it all start over again. So uh, we say it turns jet fuel into noise.
1: uh... (laughs) That's funny.
2: Let's talk about – you. This is where the game changes on expertise, and that's flying with instruments. Correct. Can't see. Um, I've I've been on flights where I look around. And I'm like, well, that you can't see anything, uh, and so now you you you're you can get disoriented real easy. You've got you got to believe. Tell me about the training. You you have to look at those instruments and you have to trust them. You told me even as long as you've been flying, that there are still times where you, you, your mind is trying to say this isn't right. Tell us uh, about that. That is correct. Yep.
0: Um, just any kind of little inner ear uh, issue or bending over down in the floor to pick up a book or a magazine or something and come back up. And you look outside if you're in the clouds. And a lot of times there's uh, there are clouds that are at an angle, they slope rather than be perfectly level, so your mind looks at them, it wants to go that way, but you look at the instruments and they say no, and you just have to trust. Um, we do have more than one set of those. There are three sets in the airplanes I fly, there are a pilot, a co-pilot, and a standby attitude gyro, and you're, you want to do a quick scan of all three of those. And that tells you whether or not what I'm seeing outside is correct or what I'm seeing inside is correct. Um, it everybody gets it. You have to train yourself out of it.
1: Yeah. What? So and JFK. A, and a, yeah. And a gyro. Yeah. A gyroscope. You're talking about is uh, a really wonderful uh, little toy of physics that if correct. you spin it. Yeah. It stays in the same position no matter what you do. So it's reliable. As to what's really up and what's down. Right. We are
0: actually beyond gyroscopes now uh, with our flat panel displays. Right. But uh, it is still the same principle of the gyroscope.
2: So in JFK Jr., is it accurate to say this is what went wrong?
0: Most probably. Um, The conditions that night, he was running late. Uh, They even tried to tie some into his marital issues and that he had a lot of stress on him besides other things of just flying the airplane. But he was kind of a,
1: a young pilot. He was a novice. Right? Yeah.
0: He had about 300 hours. He had some instrument instruction, but he did not have an instrument rating.
1: So he should be under
0: visual rules. He, and he was under visual rules, but it was night out over the water. Right. Mm. And there's lots of warnings to pilots, uh, even Places we go, like at New Orleans, uh, there is a, uh, if you land at the small airport there, there's a sign at the end of the runway that says, when you take off, you may l- lose visual uh, contact, contact right. with the horizon and all right. that. So Reminder. Uh, yeah. So uh, he, he went straight from somewhere in New York to Martha's Vineyard. It was about 40 miles over the water. And at some point along that way, uh, he lost total visual contact with either the shore behind him or the island ahead of him. Um, It became difficult. People said, well, didn't their airplane have an autopilot? It did have an autopilot. In my opinion, and it is my opinion, the autopilot is what got him in trouble. Mm. I think he realized there, I think he had the autopilot on, turned it off began having a little difficulty in controlling the airplane, turned it back on, but by this time, he had changed heading and changed Mm. altitude, but the autopilot tried to take him back to the point where he turned the autopilot off, which resulted in the airplane climbing and turning. He turned it back off, and it led into a vicious cycle. I'm very familiar with the autopilot that airplane had on it. Okay, I looked at the track. Uh, that he did, the turns, the climb, descent, and in my opinion, though the NTSB in their report never said anything about it, I think he had an issue trying to use the autopilot, turning it on and off, and it just kept messing him up. But that uh, inevitably, it was spatial
1: disorientation. That's what caused it. So when you cut the autopilot off and then back on, it tries to go back to the point some where Some do it was... and
0: some don't. That particular one did. So if he was straight and level at an altitude and turned it off, the autopilot brain, the memory, would be back at that altitude at that heading. So if he began to deviate and went down Mm -hmm. and turned, Uh if you turn it back on, it's going to climb and go back up to that heading. Uh So when you turn it on and it, starts doing something other than what you think it
1: should do. It scares you. You it think it's out of control. You, you think you? it's yep.
0: out of control and you turn it back off uh, and, and it, it led to a spiral. They call it a graveyard spiral. Oh boy. And when the airplane is descending and turning, the force of gravity pushes you against the seat. Your inner ear says I'm straight and level. But the airplane is turning. So if you look at the altimeter and you don't know what's going on, And you see it descending, you pull back. But if you pull back in a turn, it tightens the turn. And that was called the
2: graveyard. Oh, and it put him in, yeah. So I I, I was talking to you. I have seen and listened to air traffic controllers be in situations which you would say do not do, and that is always have a co-pilot. Correct. your, Your quote was, it is the cheapest life insurance you'll ever buy. That's correct. Right but sometimes people fly and it's just passengers and one pilot correct and in these cases unfortunately something happens with the pilot heart attack whatever anything that would make them incoherent and unable to fly the plane yes and i have watched and listened to air traffic controllers take people in the plane get them in the seat and get them on the ground but you said that's only in good weather that's correct it uh, could couldn't happen in uh, if you if you have if you they don't have a visual
0: a person in the back uh, realizing that something's wrong in the cockpit, comes forward. They stand little chance if it's if you're flying in the clouds, how far the visibility's mm-hmm. low, the ceiling is low. There's very little chance that a controller, even if he's a pilot, could put himself into that airplane and help that person. Uh, the very first thing it always amazes me is... Can that person that moves from the back that comes forward even ask for help? <laughs> right. Because <Yeah. laughs> where do you push the on the yoke to make the headset transmit? Right. Uh, am I on the right frequency? It's just a near impossibility. It does happen, and that's why you hear so much about it, because it is a miracle when it does. <laughs> All
2: right. We'll come back more with Tom Messer <laughs> when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, continues. So, Bubba, we we love the products from Manscaped. Uh, I I could tell that that our guest, Tom, is looking at our magnificent hair, and he's wondering how. Yeah. How does their hair look so good? How do they do it? Right. Well, part of it is the shampoo conditioner combination that we use from Manscaped. You know everything about the Manscaped products. You can tell they're just designed for men. That that's that's what you know. Men and women are equal, but they're not the same. To, to the packaging, I mean, we get the, the bottles you get, and they're yeah. metal. They and, just do a good and, job, and, with it. and all the and, and we love the trimmers that they have. I mean, for your beard and and you know anywhere you need to trim. Uh, I mean, this thing is it's just better than the others. It's the lawnmower, the four Uh, and and, and it has the light on the front of it so you can see, like I know when I'm getting under my neck here or you're needing to shave wherever. That light is
1: a game-changer. It's a
2: game-changer, and just the quality of the, the trimmer itself. And then there's the weed whacker. We wish we didn't need. Ear and nose hair trimmers. Yeah, but we do. It's sad. Isn't yeah, it? we do. And then, of course, there's all kinds of things to use for men uh, that uh, that help us to uh, be desirable to the women. Where we don't stink, we smell good. Uh, so, if you're looking for, you know, your hygiene routine to be complete and have products designed for men, uh, this is the products that are, these products are available to you right now. We're getting you twenty percent off and free shipping. Uh, using the code Bubba20. Uh, Bubba20, uh, when you go to their website, so go to manscaped, E-D, manscaped.com, 20% off and free shipping with the code Bubba20. Rick, and Bubba, Rick and Bubba. This is the Rick and Bubba Show. Watch more at blazetv.com slash Rick and Bubba. Rick and Bubba, Rick and Bubba. Tom Messer is the guest. Uh, he is a, a former air traffic controller, still a pilot, uh, and he has been uh, helping us to talk about some historic things. Bubba, I, I do want to talk Sully with him if I could. the, yeah. the, the Great oh, yeah. Hudson well, River, a, one so, of the great saves of all time. So, and and I know that again, movies have to have drama. Right. I I don't uh, I don't recall that uh, that the captain came under as much scrutiny as they act like he did uh, in the movie. Did he catch any flack that somehow this wasn't the right thing to do?
0: He did, because uh, the so-called experts immediately (laughs) tried to analyze what he had done and gave him the what if and if you'd done this, Mm -mm. but they weren't there. Um, They did come up with the idea that it takes a few moments of recognition to analyze a problem if you were on the ground after it had happened and you said, well, if you'd immediately turned back, uh, you might have done this or you might have done that. He did not have that luxury at that moment. He had to figure out what had happened and then deal with it. And they didn't factor that into their timeline. They didn't factor that into the timeline. Uh, when he brought that up later on, it, it was obvious that he did the right thing. Uh, I actually think the movie Sully was pretty good. Good. Okay. Uh, I, they spent some time on that. Probably a lot because Sully himself uh, put a lot of input into the movie. Um, He did his training. They ran the checklist. He used his experience. He made proper decisions, and he saved those people's lives. In the air disasters, that's one of the things that bothers me so much about that is the deer in the headlights, the oh my gosh, what's happening? Right, that's not what happens on a flight deck. When they go to work, they They go go to work and deal with it.
2: Yeah, Yeah. and they've been highly trained to do so. They have been. That's correct.
1: Well, Uh, I I noticed he he retired shortly after that, didn't he? He did. He was reaching his retirement age. Age. What do they have him? a man, a man... 65. Da- 65. Wow. And
0: they're trying to, I'm going to have
1: to really get on it if I'm going to get my life. <laughs> You really, really are. are. Yeah. yeah.
0: They're trying to extend it to 68 right now, and it has to do with the pilot shortage. Uh, they're trying to save this these guys that are coming up on retirement now right. to give them another three years to try
1: to get mm-hmm. some people in. Why Why do we have a pilot shortage right now? We keep hearing about it. We read about it all There's the time. There's so
0: much more aviation taking place. There's so many more airliners. There's so many more general aviation, corporate jet, business aircraft. It's very expensive to, to get to a point that you can fly one of those airplanes. Uh, years of training... Uh, hundreds of hours, lots of cost, people just don't have that money. Uh, The airlines uh, are beginning to train their own people. Uh, They're taking very low time pilots, hiring them, giving them simulator time, putting them airplanes, flying them, helping them build the time.
1: I know they're doing that with the aviation schools, right? I mean, you mm. go in, you're, you're not in there too long at all. You've already been hired by somebody, and right, you're basically working on the job, getting your hours in, right?
0: right? And it's not only pilots. It's the mechanics. It's the people that maintain the avionics on the airplanes. Um, it's just such an expanding, rapid-growth industry that the people— the new people coming up just
1: can't keep up. Do you think we're going to see more aircraft in the future, and it may, it may be 50 years down the line, that are going to look like our drones that we have now as opposed to the more standard, you think, <sighs> propeller moving forward runway? Is, is, I do not.
0: It, I just don't see electric aircraft, <laughs> and I don't see pilotless aircraft carrying people uh even as good as the technology is, the mental ability to work on a problem, solve it, what should we do? I just don't think computers can do that.
1: But do you think the aircraft themselves will be, say, four four propellers or four fans horizontally that are raising I, things up and down versus the more traditional? I just don't know that I see
0: a need for that, but there might be. Uh, I, I don't. Uh, Before we finish up, I want to go back and give my air traffic control friends uh, applause, um, respect. That system works so good. It's amazing. Every day. There are thousands of airplanes out there. They all require some form of instruction to get from A to B. You hardly ever hear of anything happening in the system. And it's just so... It's the dedication of the people that go to work every day and make it work.
1: You know, I'm amazed yeah. when I pull up these, uh, these apps and things that show how many planes are in the air. Unbelievable. I mean, as you said, there's thousands every day that take off and land without any problem. You never hear about it. That's right. And then, lo and behold, when something does come along, you know, years in between, you know, it really makes the headlines.
0: It does. But uh, it works
2: awfully well.
1: It really does. Yeah. And the air traffic controllers. Back to them. We've got a couple minutes.
2: But really, when you even look at those times, the rare times something does happen, it's rarely them. Yeah. It's yeah. usually something beyond their control. It. it you. I, I would. I bet the percentage is minuscule, if any, that that the air traffic controller failed at their job and it caused it.
0: There are uh, when a loss of separation occurs, but there's no collision. Right. Uh, they call it a deal. They say, Oh, we've had a deal. Well, a deal might be where an airplane was supposed to be three miles from another airplane and it winds up two miles.
2: Right. And that's
0: not the separation required, but two miles is a long way. Right. And uh, we're overcompensating because we want to. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. So it it, it does. It's a spectacular system. I trust it. you know, any pilot that's out there doing what I do, trust their life to the system.
2: Yeah, I think that part of of, of air travel is is all good. I, sometimes you wish some of the 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 people at the top that come up with some of the way that they are dealing with it from a money making standpoint. It kind of puts these pilots, these flight attendants, these Of course, air traffic controllers can be kind of isolated from it. Where you some of the things they do, like overbooking planes and things like that, anger people and upset people and bog the system down. uh, I really feel bad for the people that are really good at what they do, having to deal with all that. That's correct. Yeah.
0: But everybody that I deal with is so dedicated to what they do—the pilots, the mechanics, the controllers. Uh, It's a
2: great system. And boy, it is the way to travel. It is.
1: <laughs> Man, it is. It is. It is the There's way. There's something to... about flying above the clouds. Oh, it's I, just, I, don't, it's I just... don't drive anywhere. <laughs> i
0: bet you know. I have a small airplane. I use it for personal stuff. And mm. I have uh, some uh, agreements with my owners that let me use the bigger stuff. If I want to yep. go skiing or something, I just, I do not want <laughs> to.
2: Well, I, 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 I talk about this all the time. There's things that, that I feel called to. You know, by God, that if it wasn't from the, for the miracle of airplanes, I would not be able to do them. It wouldn't work with yeah, the way we sure. have to do a show every day and all that. I mean, it wouldn't work. Right. So it's, it, it's, it's quite, like a
1: time machine. It
2: really is. So. It is.
0: I call it a time machine all the time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how about that? Yeah. Tom,
2: thanks for being with us. Thank
0: you so much. Yeah, it's been a pleasure.
2: Being. Appreciate what you've done, what you continue to do, and, and what all those that are still flying and doing air c- traffic control, what they continue to do for us. And thanks to each and every one of you for joining us on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast.